more women in entry-level retail jobs than in any other industry. However, as their careers in retail continue, only 30% of these women make it to senior level leadership positions. And, of those, only 13% make it to the C-suite, fewer than in any other industry. This is the Women's Retail Collective podcast, produced in partnership between Third House and the Network for Executive Women, where we pull together retail's most influential women to talk about their careers, how they made it to senior leadership and C-suite positions, and how they lead their organizations through the rapidly evolving retail industry. Today we are lucky enough to have some time today with Abby Lersman, who is Chief Human Resources Officer at Ahold Del Hayes. Abby, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking time to be with us today. Thanks, Anne, and it's great to be a part. Yeah. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Tell us about you. Where Where did you grow up, Abby? I was born and raised in Marion, Ohio, okay. which is actually the popcorn capital of the world, and Ooh. many people don't know that. And it's the home of Warren G. Harding, one of our wow. very famous presidents. Okay. And I, I grew up to parents of Bob and Faye Hill, um, one of actually three kids in our family. I was the middle child. I love to play sports. I love to be active in the community. I always kind of wanted to make a difference and have impact in anything that I did. Um, I constantly felt I needed to prove something. And I don't know if that was because of being a middle child. And I got to see my older sister who was three years older and all the mistakes, so so to say, that she made. And then my younger brother and kind of he was trying to fight for a position within the family. And then I just wanted to validate that my parents had done a great job. And even though all three kids were very different, that they should recognize how they brought us up has made us who we are. And uh, that I always just kind of wanted to make them proud. So I think in the back of my head, since I was very, very young, I wanted to make a difference. So what was your first retail job? How did you come into retail? Yeah, actually, my first retail job, there were two different ones. One was with Big Bear. I don't know if you ever remember Big Bear. It was a grocer. Okay. And I actually was a bagger and a cashier. And absolutely loved it because of the opportunity I had to interact with people. Um, But at the same time, I also worked at Elder Beerman's, uh, which was a department store. And I was in their fine jewelry department. Hmm. But when we talk about first jobs, I actually had kind of three at the same time. I mean, this is a lot of jobs. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I found that, again, I I came from a middle to lower class family. And um, I was the only one that went to university. Uh, my father worked really hard uh, doing multiple things, full-time role at Whirlpool Corporation while on the side building homes. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but then helped out at the school uh, part-time as well. And I just saw that they always worked really hard. Yeah. And they had to work hard for um, what they wanted in life and to be able to provide for us as a family. And I think it kind of instilled in me. And so when I went to university, I, I, mean, I had the good fortune to have a, a scholarship. Uh, but at the same time, I wanted to be able to help support the rest of the funding for uh, for my college. So during the summers, I would hold down three different jobs just to be able to make money. And because of the hours that were allocated then, 
you know, I'd work third shift at Whirlpool Corporation in the press room, and then I worked at uh, Elder Beerman's and as well Big Bear. Wow. Yeah. What? But in retail, the first two really were Big Bear okay. as a cashier and a grocer, and then as well um, in the fine jewelry department for Elder Beerman's. What did you, what, did you have any like cool pieces that you sold in fine jewelry that you remember? Well, yeah, I just, at that point in time, yellow gold was really in. Yeah. And yellow gold with big stones. Okay. And so lots of that. And always having the opportunity when men would come in and or young, young adult, young men would come in and want to buy something special for their girlfriend or their wife or their partner. Yeah. And that I would help to be able to influence that and kind of tell them why certain pieces were important or what it may mean to uh, their partner or the one that they love. Yeah. So that was always great fun. So kind of learn some storytelling along the way in, in that role and and then what about bagging what was that like well I, I recognized in bagging that it's like I wanted to be the best bagger and even now it's really hard because I, I live in Europe um, based because where my where my job is and you know they no longer you actually take your own bags and right. you actually bag your own groceries and I'm really thankful for that because when I return back to the states they still in many of the grocery stores still do the bagging yeah and I always think that I can bag better <laughs> because I can look at a bag and I can see where things should be positioned before I even put them in the bag right yeah and so for me it was always about how do I create the best bag <laughs> you know for the customer I know it sounds funny now but it's a spatial thing yeah I, I do it to my husband as well when we go on trips uh, the back of the trunk yeah I always say let me load the trunk yeah because of the boot of the car because I I know I can make everything fit he'll say that won't fit oh I can because I can already visualize it and he said you're crazy (laughs) and so it was something that was just inherent and so that's why I really love bagging yeah Yeah, that's fun that's a great skill it was like a puzzle you know because everybody bought something different yeah you never knew what was going to come across the scanner and down the belt and then how do you actually fit it into the bag and then you know we had paper bags now we have plastic and even better now we have cloth bags because people are bringing their own right so so after bagging and after college, what happened then? Well, I mentioned that I had a scholarship. So, because yeah. I had worked at Whirlpool uh, during the summer months, my father had actually worked for Whirlpool for 32 years. Okay. And I had the opportunity to apply for a sons and daughters scholarship. And so it was based on academic and community achievement. So I had the good fortune of winning that and then went away to university. And while I was at university, I actually um, had the chance, once I finished undergraduate, to decide to stay on for my master's. And with my master's, I actually had two jobs. So when I came out of undergrad, during the summer, I'd have the three jobs. But then when I went on to get my master's, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And they actually paid for my master's as long as I taught um, a basic public speaking class and was a debate coach. Hmm. And so those were my follow-on pseudo kind of roles to help provide um, for university and funding. And then when I graduated with my master's, as I was wrapping up my master's and my thesis project, I actually asked Whirlpool Corporation, because I had worked there those summers before, to say, hey, can I do my thesis in one of your manufacturing facilities? And my thesis was about organizational stress in a manufacturing environment. And they said, hey, yeah, let's test it out. So I actually went back to one of the divisions that I had worked at in Marion, Ohio, my hometown. And I did my thesis there. And from doing that work and then graduating, I had the opportunity to apply for an opportunity with Whirlpool. 
and actually got the job, which I was really excited about because, again, my father had worked there 32 years. They had provided a scholarship for me to go to school. Yeah. I kind of felt like I needed to give back, and I also felt like, gosh, if this was a place my father had worked at for 32 years, it must be a pretty cool company. Yeah. And how proud would he be if I landed a role at Whirlpool? Right. And so then I got this job, and it was actually in Michigan, and he was in Ohio, and so I was moving to the global headquarters. He had never actually worked in the global headquarters. He had been there twice in his 32 years doing different things. And my starting salary was actually $4,000 more than my father's wow. salary at that point in time. And it, it wasn't like it was a significant salary. You know, we started out at, I think it was like 32000 something okay. like that. And I just remember that, you know, think about that 4000 more. My father's salary was in 28000 And think of the number of years that he had worked. And I thought, wow. My parents provided me the opportunity to go to university. Granted, I worked hard, but they've sacrificed a lot for me to go to. Plus, they instilled the right values. And then I had the opportunity to, to graduate and then go work where my yeah. father had worked. And I actually got to take him to places in Whirlpool that he had never oh, been. Fun. So it was, you know, one of those things where Whirlpool became a huge part of my life. And I actually worked for Whirlpool Corporation for 16 and a half years. What were you doing there, Abby? Well, a variety of different roles. Yeah. I started out in uh, quality and continuous process improvement and was actually in the training area. And what's interesting is my undergrad was actually in um, communications, uh, change management, and systems integration. Okay. Well, an emphasis on organizational development, change management, but focus on communications. And then I was like, okay, what am I really going to do with that? And then I ended up getting this job in training, and the emphasis was on quality and continuous improvement. And so I worked with Whirlpool's financial subsidiary. And then what happened from that is I evolved because of the different things that I had achieved at that time into what was called a process consultant because I had the opportunity to study under some quality gurus. But when I got this process consultant role, it then enabled me to kind of move around the globe for short-term assignments to help drive process improvement. Hmm. And so I was a process consultant for the organization and kind of a quality administrator. And then I had the opportunity to map out all these HR processes with one of my rotations. Okay. And then I kind of found my place of being. And I ended up going into HR and was an HR manager uh, with multiple um, pieces of the organization within Whirlpool. And then Whirlpool had me move abroad in that capacity. I kind of went in and out of HR and in supply chain, but ended up having 16 and a half years with them. I actually had the opportunity to work in four different markets uh, for Whirlpool and short-term assignments. And then one a long-term assignment in Italy, which was two and a half years. And then after 16 and a half years, um, had the opportunity to kind of leave Whirlpool and go to Unilever. But what was interesting, before I left to go to Unilever, I actually met my husband because of Whirlpool. I had, um, Whirlpool had moved me to Greenville, Ohio, which was a very small town, and it made all the KitchenAid portable appliances okay. there. And I was the HR manager at that point in time and one of the only single females in the community. And it happened to be that uh, my then didn't know him, but my now husband was one of the only single men. And so some of our colleagues kind of connected us because they were worried about us leaving the community and leaving the area. And we went out on one date, kind of fell in love. And then five months later, Whirlpool said, hey, would you like to move to Italy? And I thought, 
Italy, new boyfriend. What do I <laughs> How do? How do I make this work? Yeah, and I was like, okay, five months. Is he really the man for me? You know, what is this all about? And I was like, well, if he loves me and if it's meant to be, this is going to be great. So I took the job in Italy. Wow. We continued to date, which was wonderful. He proposed to me two years into my job in Italy. And then we had this big decision on, okay, how are we going to, you know, we don't want to live apart. We want to live right. together. What does that look like? And so we agreed, although at that time, and so this would be the first if anybody from Whirlpool hears this. At that point in time, we said, okay, whoever can find a job first in the community where the other is located. So he was still in Greenville practicing law. Yeah. And then I had the opportunity either to stay in Italy with Whirlpool or move back potentially to Benton Harbor, which is where the headquarters is. And it just so happened that he ended up finding another job in Benton Harbor, St. Joe, Michigan with another law firm. Mm. And he did that actually pretty quick. And then I asked Whirlpool, I said, hey, it'd be nice to come back. I've now gotten engaged and Whirlpool was terrific. So I came back and then we ended up getting married. And then we stayed in the Benton Harbor area and we had our daughter. And when our daughter was, what, roughly three years old, I had an opportunity where Unilever called me and asked if I would take on uh, a job based in the UK. Okay. And my husband had never lived abroad. I had lived abroad, but I never lived abroad as a family unit. Right. And so we had this new daughter in our life, and we're like, okay, what do we want to do? And he had been a partner with a law firm for 17 years, and he said, you know, let's go for it. This could mm. be an amazing experience. And so we decided to move to the UK with Unilever, and he took a sabbatical. Um, and he's actually still on a sabbatical now, which is really funny. Wow. And we ended up being in the UK for about two and a half, three years. And there I was... Um, I headed up what was called an HR transformation and strategy uh, for Unilever. And then Unilever asked me originally to move to Singapore, and we were all packed up and ready to go after two and a half years. And then about two weeks before, and our household goods had already been shipped, um, they're like, would you consider Europe? And so then we went and we checked out um, specifically the Netherlands in Europe because that's where the European regional unit was for Unilever. And we ended up loving it. And the business was going through a transformation. And we said, okay, let's try it. And yeah. we never thought we'd live in the Netherlands. And so after two and a half years, we moved to Netherlands. I stayed with Unilever for another four years as the HR leader for Europe and then had the opportunity to join what was then called AHOLD. Uh, which was a grocer right. and that also had two-thirds of the business here in the U.S. And when I was actually interviewing for the job at Ahold, I didn't know I was interviewing for the job. I thought that the then uh, CEO, Dick Bohr, was just getting to know me as an American and he wanted to know some of my contacts, how things were done. Yeah. And all of a sudden, midway through the conversation, he said, you know, you would be great for this role. And I said, what role are we talking about? And it's a CHRO for Ahold. And I was like, there's no way I'm ready. And we ended up having one of these great conversations. And then a couple weeks later, he called me and he said, you know, we'd love to have you in the role. And I was like, well, I didn't know I was interviewing. I've made commitments to Unilever. You know, this is a conversation you're going to have to have with Unilever right. as well. I can't right. have this alone. And it just worked out. And wow. I took the job, and we it was still based in the Netherlands. So we had already been there for four years with Unilever, and then we stayed on with Ahold and did that for three years. And then Ahold decided to merge with Ahold Dalhays. It was a merger of equals, and then I had a good fortune of staying on as the HR leader for the combined entity. And now we've been in the Netherlands for just over 10 years because we've been wow. with Ahold, Ahold Dalhays now for six years. What is your role like now? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, right 
before the merger, we had roughly 12 months or so of due diligence. And then post-close, it was all about integration. And really the last two, two and a half years have been fully focused on the integration activity. So merging the combined businesses, uh, defining a new organization, mm -hmm. uh, really focusing on how we want to evolve as Ajo Del Hayes and as a new company, and also delivering on our commitments to the market. So that was really the first two years okay. uh, post-close of the merger. And then this last year of the three years post-close has really been focused on reshaping the strategy and evolving the business for growth. And so if I think about about my human resource role and how it's kind of evolved and changed. I, I talk a lot about um, uh, HCPCTAC, and it's You're just have a to break that down. Yeah, me. it's kind of like a rap song. HCPCTAC. You're feeling it, yeah. Yes, yes. But it's you have the opportunity to be a leader of human capital. Okay. So it's really about how do you evolve uh, talent, and as well specifically around uh, CEO and exco succession, as well as exco and executive compensation for the business and the evolution of that strategy. Then it is about developing the talent strategy for the wider business. It's also about being able to define and be a part of why the company actually exists. So what's mm -hmm. the purpose of the company and how does that influence the culture? Yeah. So the PC is the purpose and culture because if you're really purpose-driven, you also then influence the culture and how the culture can evolve. And then when you look at the, the TAC as well, it's about being a strategic advisor and also being a, a change agent within within that. And I think those are the key aspects of how the job has evolved when we look at how the strategy of our company has evolved. They have yeah. to do more around human capital, more around the talent strategy management, more around purpose and driving driving culture, and also being a, a true change agent and more enterprise-wide, and also being more of a strategic advisor. Yeah. And being able to manage, if you look at when you bring two companies together and you look at establishing a new company, you have an evolution of your executive committee. You also have an evolution of, we have what's called a two-tier board, your supervisory board structure, and being able to manage those tension and dynamics to kind of shape something new and not fall back into old ways of doing things because mm -hmm. of either organization, but really taking the best of both and then creating what's needed for the future. And that makes it really fun. And you have a really fun challenge ahead. Head, just with all of the changes, I feel like the grocery space, especially, is just exploding. I mean, there's so much happening with technology and with just in-store experiences. I imagine that you know, it's hiring for those positions and developing the strategy for that is pretty complex. I mean, tell me how you're thinking about you know, that evolution of where the company is going and how the human capital part of it and culture and the things that you mentioned, how that comes into play as you're thinking about what the workforce looks like for this. Yeah, it is. And then you're, you're really right. It's really significant and it's really changing. Yeah. And the dynamics of retail is changing significantly. When, and when you look at retail and traditional retail, it was really about uh, focused delivery and performance. Mm -hmm. And it's still about those things, but now you have to do it in a very different way. Yeah. Your expectations of your consumer are different. Therefore, the expectations of your employees, and we call our employees associates, mm -hmm. are very different. And you look at the trends in the economy, you look at the demographic trends, you look at the addition of technology in the business and the capabilities that are required. You look at people talk about the war for talent. You also sit back and say how people want to work is very different. So that whole shift in what you deliver is very different. So we've been focused a lot on the future of work and actually starting to shape 
shape, what does it mean for Ajo del Hayes? And we've done a lot of exploratory outside in saying what's happening with our competitors, mm -hmm. um, what's happening also in other industries and workforces and what those demands are. We've then taken a look at, when you look at Ajo del Hayes, we have 372,000 associates and 63 billion in revenue, but we've got 19 great local brands. And so we've had to dig in to say, when you look at each of those brands, because they really are standalone units, sure. how are they starting to define what the future of work looks for them? Because they're in different markets. So we're in 11 different countries. And so people are at different places of maturity when they think about the future of work. So it's understanding those differences. But kind of collectively, we've stepped back and we said, okay, what are the influences of technology? What are the influences when you think of retail of big data? Because we have tons of data. Mm -hmm. What are also the implications because of what the consumer wants? So how they shop is very different. And you noted the in-store experience. If you think of brick and mortar, it has to be more experiential. Your traditional center store has to evolve and because more of the center store is being done online or it's kind of the click and collect. Oh, and so you're doing back, mm -hmm. you know, kind of warehouse shopping. So the customer can just come pick that up, but they come into the store for kind of the fresh and the experience. And we actually want the fresh to kind of transition to be more online and also kind of the pick and collect as well, or yeah. click and collect as well, so they can have faith that we're always going to have high quality and high fresh products. But when you look at that, then your workforce has to, to shift. And you also recognize that with technology, more things can be automated. So how are you taking the opportunity to reskill? and ensure that your associates, so our employees, when we bring them on board, it's not traditional that you have to do this job, that job, this job. In mm -hmm. fact, associates of today, they don't really want to define it by a title or a job. They really want to focus on tasks and also tasks that they enjoy or where they can contribute and how they can have a more social or societal impact and where they can not only make a difference to the company, but make a difference to the community that they're a part of or the customer. And I think in retail, that's what makes it so exciting. Because yeah. you've got, in our case, we have 50 million consumers a day that shop in our stores. We've got 20 million, or yeah, 50 million a week, excuse me, and 20 million a week that shop online. And so you think about 70 million in total that you have the opportunity influence but at the same time they want that personalization yes then your associates have to have a different skill set and again with technology you have to think about how can associates adapt and leverage technology in new ways and mm -hmm. use it for their advantage almost to be superhuman because they can do things that they couldn't do before because the data helps to support that, the analytics helps to support that, and or how the job gets done is automated. Or at the same time, how are they learning new skills to support the future? So becoming more personalized as well and understanding what the data is saying, so more analytical. Also being more digital mm -hmm. uh, just in, in general and then being able to adapt much faster. So you almost have to be a ready change agent yeah. within the workforce. And we know that our workforce today, they may not. Like traditionally, you join a company. And like I said, I worked for Whirlpool for 16 and a half right. years. Nowadays, that's a long time yes. for people. And, you know, people tend to stay four to six years. And even new people coming into the company say, that's a really long time too. I'm coming for an experience. Mm -hmm. So how do we make sure that they're employable for that experience? But then how do we build a partnership with them right. in our broader ecosystem and stay in touch with them? Because people are also working longer. Yeah. We have you know, a greater age in our population of our workforce as well. And so they want to stay in the workforce longer. And you know, eventually they're probably going to come back. And so that partnership is really critical. Yeah. When people used to join a company for a career, now it's about 
about an experience and learning a, a job or a task or a skill and being able to make a difference. Yes. And they may come in and out of your company, but how do you stay in touch and maybe have them be a part of your broader ecosystem so they come back? Yeah. And companies always talk about how associates are or employees are your biggest differentiator because they are the ones that have in our case our associates in the store or our associates that are online helping for home delivery are the ones that have direct impact to the customer and it's a direct correlation the more engaged your associates are the higher your customer satisfaction is so your MPS is higher on both fronts and then you're more productive and one of the things that we're recognizing too is with the workforce because they want to work very differently and in a non-traditional way we as uh, kind of shepherds of the organization, be it in HR or individuals that are in leadership roles, we have to create a different experience for our associates as well. And we mm -hmm. have to actually do things that are more personalized for them. So traditionally, you would have traditional comp schemes. Well, now we have to think about very different comp schemes to how you recognize people. You may not recognize for a job, you may recognize for a task or how you actually shape an organization, instead of a traditional hierarchical structure, you'll hear a lot about agility, you'll hear a lot about squads or tribes and how people work. Right. And then how do you enable people to do that? How do you enable people to work from anywhere? Mm -hmm. You know, people are used to having kind of butts and seats. Yeah. Well, you know what? The workforce of today doesn't want to do that. Yeah. They want to have the latitude and they also want to be able to pick where they're working. We're actually uh, testing out two different apps right now. Um, one in the Czech Republic and one here in the U.S. with two different uh, brands where store associates that actually stock the shelves and or our cashiers can actually leverage this app where they can pick a store in a market and area that they want with the store manager that they want, the hours that they want based yeah. on availability. They sign up. They do the job. They get rated by their team lead or their store manager. And in turn, they rate that team lead or store manager. And so there's an evaluation. So there's more self-control over when and how you work or get a job done, even at a store level associate. Mm. Now, we're only doing that in two brands, but we actually predict that that's a trend. Yeah. And you know, your better store managers, your better team leads are going to have more of the workforce want to follow them. Right. And so then we learn more about what it takes to be a great team leader or a great store manager, or why are those associates going there to work versus this other store. And for us, that's incredibly enlightening, but it's also a very different way of working in retail mm -hmm. than what's been there before. And that's hard yeah, because the change is hard. Yeah. And you have to have that mix of traditional mix of new because your workforce is that. Yeah. It's very diversified. How do you, how do you find like that app that you are talking about? How do you find these new technologies and keep, how do you keep yourself curious about what's happening in the industry? Do you listen to podcasts? Is it, you know, just pure conversation? Yeah. How, how does that happen for you, Abby? Well, of course you listen to podcasts <laughs> because we want everybody to tune in. No, but the key is to stay abreast with what's happening externally. Yeah. So you have to follow your competition and kind of see what's happening. Make sure you're looking at their latest analyst reports. Make sure you're reading through their capital markets day, you know, data and information. You also have to look at when you see areas of emphasis. So if one is just about personalization, you may go to different areas, non-traditional grocery to kind of explore what are they doing in that space? Or when you think about how payments are made. So who does the best payments? It doesn't always mm -hmm. have to be within your same industry, yeah. you know, to actually go and look to see how a job is done or what they're bringing to market. So you have to do that. The other thing that I find in my role is I need to make sure that I do listening tours with my fellow executive committee members because, you know, I, 
I'm not expected to be an expert in IT or in legal or in finance or in marketing and or merchandising, but I ought to make sure that I'm tuning into what they know is needed in their field of expertise because I need to then help with my HR community build that skill and capability. So being able to do listening tours with the executive committee and my colleagues and then as well even with our supervisory board members too because our board members should be staying abreast on what's happening within and outside of our industry as well. And getting those insights from different people is really important. The other thing that I've done is I've established, I used to have and still have a personal board for my own personal development. Like when I have... Well, How know, do you develop your own personal board? I love this idea. You start calling people that you admire and respect outside of where you're working that you know that you want to build a relationship with. You start to build that relationship, and then you start to instill trust with one another, and then you go to them to share situations that you may not feel comfortable about talking about to your leader, because my leader is the CEO, yeah. and I may not feel comfortable, or my peers and colleagues or my team members, because maybe I just actually am questioning something, but I don't want people to know that I'm questioning it, Yeah. so I can go to this personal board and say, hey, I've got this situation or I'm thinking about this or you know what, I did this and got this reaction and it wasn't the reaction I expected. Yeah. Do you think I could have handled that differently? How would you, you know, have done it in that kind of situation? So I had that kind of personal board, but I also now leverage that group to say, what are you seeing and happening in what you're doing? I mean, some of them are retired. Some of them are in, you know, key positions today with different organizations. And again, it just keeps you abreast and fresh, yeah. which I think is really important. And you have to take the time to do those things. Yeah. Well, you've given me especially and the, our listeners so much great advice already. Get Based on your experience, I love the personal board. I'm going to start um, interviewing for that, I think, right now when I get back home. Um, but if... Based on your experience, especially in your experience with human resources in the retail industry and some of the statistics that we talked about earlier, is there any other pieces of advice or piece of advice that you would give a woman um, or man who's considering a career in in the retail industry? Yeah, well, first of all, I would tell you to pursue retail. That's the first thing I'd tell you. I mean, if they're thinking about it or even people who aren't thinking about it, I'd say pursue it because now's the time. I mean, it's going through such a transformation and it's incredibly exciting and you have the opportunity to impact so many people when you talk about customers and consumers, but also the communities that your organizations are a part of. Retailers have the chance to do that and to really make a difference and drive change. So I would say definitely pursue it. I would also tell you that you know you have the opportunity if you're if you're analytical and you like to look at data you have the opportunity to access big data and to make shifts and you can test things out because that's what's nice in retail you can test something out in one store test something out in another store and that gives you great energy and also guidance on what's working and what's not working so I tell you to continue to want to do those things if you're coming into retail because you'd have a wide platform to be yes. able to do that but the other thing that I would do is I would Go back to some basics just around how do you make sure you yourself know what your purpose is and why you exist and what you stand for? And how do you then connect if you want to go into retail with a retailer that your purpose aligns with their overall purpose? Because I think when you have that direct connect, Mm -hmm. then 
you make a bigger contribution to the strategy of that respective retailer and it turn in turn it's incredibly fulfilling for you and so to still be very purpose driven but also to be very valued based so give thoughts around what you value and then again try to line that up so you can truly be your authentic self and then i'd tell you once you get into retail make sure that your voice is heard and allow yourself to be vulnerable allow yourself to be uncomfortable because there's going to be times where the rate of change is just so fast and there's going to be things you don't know and it's okay to ask why it's okay to say you don't know something it's okay to be vulnerable but in turn be driven to understand and to also learn and kind of grow and adapt and i often talk about just seeing it and people think about okay seeing as far as visually seeing it and now i think about the letter c because most words that start with c are enablers. So if you think about being credible, capable, confident, etc., there's a few bad C words, so I don't want to talk about those bad C words, but other C words, I think there's something about if you are, you know, confident, if you um, take the time to be capable and credible and you're courageous, you know, you can, you can have impact and, and make a difference. So I'd tell you to just go in wholehearted and kind of give it your all and not be hesitated to not be hesitant to take on things that you're uncertain about. Great advice. Um, I'm going to close this out with one question. Um, as you reflect back on your career, if you were going to go back and surprise one person with a thank you note for the impact that they had on that career, who would that be? And what would you say to them? Yeah, really great question. Cause there's so many people that I'm thankful for yeah. what they've done for me in my career. Um, you know, and it's so cliche, but I'll still say it. You know, it has to be my parents. I mean, I'm so proud of both my parents. They've been um, ever giving, ever providing, giving me great courage and challenging me to do things different. And both of them in very different ways. One in what would be defined in a traditional professional way. My father working his way up, you know, through, through Whirlpool, but still being an hourly associate for a good portion of those 32 years and only the last few being a salary. Or my mother being a great stay at home mom, but then also contributing in the schools. This, this ability to have drive and to always know that you can do things that you thought you couldn't mm. and to have that instilled. And I know at the start of this, I talked about, it, I just always wanted to make them proud. And it's because I was so proud of them mm. that I never wanted to disappoint. And I yeah. also, I wanted to be just like them. And so it does, it has to be, it has to be my parents because they've made a difference in my life and I feel I owe so much to them wow. and I'm continuously indebted to them. And then there's a lot of great people in my career that have influenced me as well. And there's thank yous that I write all the time. And I would tell people that you should do it more often because when you get one of those thank yous as being one of those people, what it does for you in that day and the memory that it creates. And it also kind of reignites you around why you do what you do. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt that your parents would be very proud of you, Abby. Um, you you were given a t- an award the uh, CHRO of the year. Um, what parent wouldn't be proud of that? And um, have done so much for all of us who who really look up to you and and the work and all of your accomplishments. And so I thank you so much, Abby, for being a part of this podcast and and look forward to following you and and where you take um, a hold. It, it's really exciting. Thanks for being with us today. 
Oh, and thank you so much for the opportunity to share. And I have to say one final remark. I mean, you yeah. brought up that CHRO of the Year yeah. Award. And I have to tell you, I was just blessed and lucky to get that award. And it's because I have a great team. Wow. And it was an honor to be able to get it to represent the work that my HR team has done, but as well the broader community of Awful Delhaze, because we'd gone through a lot of change and transition. And it was all about, you know, having innovation, being able to be innovative, being able to have impact, and also to be able to inspire. And the collective workforce did that, and specifically the HR community. So it was an honor and a privilege to accept that on their behalf. Well, congratulations and thank you. Yeah, thanks, Anne. If you were going to hold a concert, Abby, uh, with three bands, what concert would you have and what would those bands be? Wow, now that's going to be a tough one. Three bands. Um, Bare Naked Ladies. Ooh, okay. I love it. Um, what other one would it be? Actually, it's not a band. I would bring Hugh Jackman into the mix. I just saw him in Ooh. Vegas and I have so much admiration for him and his talents and he his can capabilities. Sing. He can sing, he can yeah. dance, he can tell stories. So Hugh Jackman, because he's actually a singer okay. as well, but not a band. Probably include uh, a Lady Gaga in there too, just because of the variety that she brings. Yeah, I like that And also more the, more the messages that she lands. Yeah, yeah. And actually, now that you've got me thinking, who's the guy, that, the younger the guy that my daughter and I just saw, who's Canadian? It's horrible. Shawn it, Mendes? Yeah, Shawn oh, Mendes. He puts on a show. Yeah, he does. Uh -huh. But again, you think about those, those are all individuals, although they have backup bands yeah. that are supporting them. So. True. Well, I think that sounds like a great show. <laughs> <laughs>